Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Buchanan with the Fire Service Data and Tech Talk podcast on fire engineering. We're here, obviously not on a Zoom call or any kind of Teams call today. We're actually on site at Phoenix Fire Department with my special guest, uh, Chief Tim Kreiss. So you. thank you for hosting, sir, yes, and sir. having us on the uh, coming on the show with Fire Engineering. It's really awesome. We appreciate you being here. Well, tell everybody a little bit about uh, your background and where you come from. I know you're th like third generation fire. That's service. right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Chief. It's an honor for for me to be here, and certainly Phoenix Fire. So thank you for for having mm -hmm. us. Uh, for me, I've been with Phoenix Fire for about 21 years now, and and I started out my career back then. You know, any way you could kind of get your foot in the door, sort of thing, you'd do it. And I was really fortunate to get a job working in our fire marshal's office, just doing some basic inspection sort of work, and a lot of folks who who ended up as firefighters and operations sort of started there. Uh, the guy that I worked for at that time was a uh, shift commander, uh, retired shift commander kind of guy and a legendary uh, character in the, in the Phoenix Fire Department for sure. And uh, uh, he was a great mentor to me. Uh, ended up getting uh, successful and getting hired as a firefighter and went through the academy in 2005. And 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 loved the academy and had great probationary stations and these sorts of things. I worked at Station 30, which is one of our busier fire stations in Central Phoenix area, and and did that for several years and took the engineer's test and drove for a while and took the captain's test and was fortunate to get promoted there and was a captain for about five years and then uh, battalion chief's test. So I took that test and was fortunate to be successful there and then worked as a division chief and deputy chief in fire prevention. When I was a BC, I was down in South Phoenix. And I worked, a, uh, my whole career was spent on A-shift, you know, so, so now <laughs> that, I got, that's, you know. That's almost, that's a unicorn all by itself. Yeah, yeah, until I got promoted chief and then yeah. I went to C-shift in South Phoenix, which I had really spent no time with. Those folks were incredible. And then I moved to, to prevention and was deputy chief there. And I got promoted to assistant chief in 2019 and oversaw the operations division for about three years there. And that was a crazy time you know you got covid and right. and, uh, and we had a huge wildland urban interface season going on there a lot of changes in our organization folks get promoted and and that was a whole lot of fun and then uh, uh where we're at today is is i oversee community risk reduction so i just took over a new assignment from the fire chief i'm super excited about it and i'm managing community risk reduction division for the fire department that's emergency management homeland defense investigations uh, and the fire marshal's office. So I'm pretty excited about that new assignment. Yeah. Awesome. And and your father and grandfather were all Phoenix fire as well. That's right. Yeah. So my grandfather, uh, he grew up on a farm in Nebraska. Goes back to like the homestead <laughs> times, you know. Yeah. So they had all this stuff. We got all that documentation and such. And he went in the Marine Corps and went to Korea. And when he got out, his older brother said, "You need to come to Phoenix because it's awesome and there's jobs." So he moved his family out to Phoenix. He couldn't find a job, you know. So he's out here, can't find a job. And he's driving by the same sign. This is like the 1950s in Phoenix. And it's this, you know, Phoenix Fire Department hiring. We need firefighters sort of thing. Nobody wanted to do the job at the time. So he thought, well, I'm a military guy. I can probably do this. So he got hired. And then he did 32 years with us. And uh, he was an engineer on a ladder truck. So he drove a truck company, uh, did a great job. My dad uh, went to high school here and worked construction and visited my grandpa at the station one day and, and, and thought to himself, why am I not? trying to do this sort of thing. Yeah. So he he ended up testing it and getting hired and and he worked from 75 to about 2013. Wow. And then, yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to get hired in 2005, third generation, yeah. 
That's great. That that's yeah. amazing, and it's such a you know such a tradition. And uh, I think that Phoenix has a you know place in my heart too, just from the time I grew up. And I grew up in Virginia, so as we were coming up, uh, I was joined in '82 as a volunteer. Awesome. And uh, Chief Bernasini would come out often, yeah. and like the, the uh, incident command stuff was brand right. new back then, yep. and and then customer service is some of the things that he's known for, and he would always come out. And uh, and then as my career evolved, I ended up being on, you know, different committees or whatever, sure. where I would actually be sitting next to him, which yeah. is kind of like sitting next to Elvis or uh -huh. something, you know, when you right. come up in yeah. the generation yeah. I was from. So I've always been a big fan of, of the Phoenix Fire Department and which is the reason I came looking for you, yeah. man. I, there was this, you wrote an article uh, back, it posted on June 20th, if you're looking for it on fireengineering.com, uh, data-driven operations. Data-driven fire operations is the title of the article, yeah. right? So, uh, as soon as this thing hit, man, the you know the the social media thing started yeah. talking, and uh, Pete, who actually is in charge of social media for fire engineering, actually sent it to me. He goes, "You need to see this," oh, wow. you know. Yeah. And uh, I read the article, and I was really, really impressed and amazed for lots of reasons that we'll talk about today, but. Uh, Give us a little bit of backstory about how that article came to be and what was the inspiration to write it. Like, yeah, for sure. What, you know, sit down at the keyboard and, and yeah. make, write this awesome piece. But what was the inspiration for that? Where did it come from? Well, thank you. And credit to the deputies, the battalion chiefs, and the captains we have on the Phoenix Fire Department because they were so key in this. And I'll spend some more time talking about it if I can. But the, the thinking behind the effort for us was we had a strategic plan. And in our strategic plan, uh, utilizing data to become a data-driven organization was one of our strategic initiatives that was set by the fire chief and union president at that time. When I got promoted to assistant chief and overseeing the operations division, like uh, I think most folks, you know, I had a handful of books that were always kind of on my desk, and one of them was Bruno's customer service mm -hmm. book, and another one was the MOU, and, and one of them was a strategic plan. And I was looking at that particular initiative and reading through the 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 objectives that were in it that were outlined by the chief. And I thought to myself, I wonder how we can do this for operations to, to try to help us out and, and look at things a little bit different and try to move from subjective conversations about things that we would talk about in the operations division as chiefs and such to more objective. And at that, I mean, today and, as, and, and then as well, I had 13 deputies in the ops division, the district commanders and the shift commanders. And they're just absolutely incredible. A lot of seniority, really smart folks, and just such an honor and pleasure to work with them. And we all kind of sat around in, in our operations deputy meeting in the conference room, and we just started talking about it. And we started talking about, well, what, what is important to us operationally? Well, certainly the strategy decision of IC1 is important to us. And, and you know, if, are we establishing supply lines when we need to? What are we doing with vertical ventilation? Are we doing transitional tackle where we train our folks? Where UL is has been so amazing for the American Fire Service to illuminate those things from a safety and operational performance perspective. You know, what about our tactical objectives? Are, are there things that are slowing us down for our ability to get all clears and fire controls? And if there is, what are those sorts of things? And, and really trying to, 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 to be objective as we can. And that sort of thinking, I gotta give credit to my, my boss, Scott Walker, our executive assistant chief. I worked for him as a deputy when he was an assistant. And he gave me a book and he said, Tim, I want you to read this book. And I still got a copy of it. But, but he was mentoring me as a leader in the fire service to look at things more objectively. Mm -hmm. And, and anytime I would do some work for him, 
uh, especially in the beginning, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd send it back and say, no, you, you need to give me more of the objective data, the more the reason why, and really mentored me into understanding how that can be powerful from an ops and a safety perspective, but also really powerful from an ability to advocate for the resources that we need for our firefighters to succeed in their jobs. Anything from, you know, future fire stations, and, you know, reducing response times, all this sort of stuff. So that was really the push for it. Um, and we, we, we literally sat in the room and started figuring out, okay, we, a vision for what this was and credit to those deputy chiefs because they're throwing stuff at the wall and we're polishing it up and, and learning some lessons around, along the way. The fire chief was involved in it. I told the fire chief, Chief Cockburner at the time, hey, this is what we're, what we're trying to do here. She was very supportive of it. She was super interested in every question and had some great insights into it. And as we sort of put it together, uh, we knew a couple things were going to happen. Number one, we we're probably going to learn a lot of stuff, and that was the goal. Number two is we were going to demonstrate to our battalion chiefs and the deputy chiefs and us as an operations division what is really important to us from an ops performance and safety perspective. Like that's one of the indirect benefits to it. So as we, we built it up, uh, we had access to this program called Microsoft Forms. It's part of our Microsoft 365 thing that the city mm -hmm. builds for us and stuff. And we just slung it in there and, and built it up. And, and it led, you know, one of the chiefs, Tom Higgins at the time said, hey, we need to, we need to put the stickers to link to this. And this guy's like a, he's like a 40-year guy, right? Yeah. Like this is the kind of guy I'm talking about. Like a, he's a mechanic and he's just a, he's a, a tough fire, you know, fire chief kind of guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, we got to get QR stickers for all the battalion rigs so the folks can hit it with their phones and fill it out mm -hmm. in the rig right after the fire. And that's what the chiefs did. So we, you know, we, we, we built it all the way we wanted it to. We rolled it out to our battalion chiefs and, and everybody. We told them what we wanted them to do. We knew that they were going to do it and do it authentically, and they do. And, you know, their, their deputies were bought into it because they built it, and they're going to those fires with them. So they know that we know they're going to give us good, honest data because if they don't, their deputy chief's going to ask right. them about it. Like, hey, you supported that strategy decision, and uh, are you sure you see it that way type of, type of thinking? Um, and and it, it and the data started rolling in, and and as it went forward, uh, you know, we were able to see some stuff that we thought was really, really cool. We worked really hard as an organization on, on UL's transitional attack stuff. And we worked really hard on organization on making sure we were coordinating our vertical ventilation, our ventilation practices with the application of water. Worked really hard as an organization on um, command procedures and identification of training needs. And, and one of the couple of questions that were really, really, really powerful and put in there on purpose was we asked one question, you probably remember it from, from looking at it. We put all the questions on the article. Mm -hmm. If people want to copy them or do anything with them, they're more than happy to do that. But we asked a question about, you know, one, what slowed down your ability to achieve your tactical objectives? The feedback we got from our BCs was heavy fire conditions slowing us down and forceful entry. And now we've gathered about a year of data with that, and we're looking at it all the time, and, the, and, and, and we're seeing it. And, and I didn't have to tell anybody anything. They're all thinking the same thing. Okay, well, this is what they're saying. So I said, what are we going to do about it? And, you know, the, the, it was an amazing thing. The chiefs, the chiefs said, well, well, one thing we need to do is we got to look at the flow rates of our fire hose, uh, our pumpers, and what are we actually getting from a GPM perspective? Let's challenge that. So we started looking at that. Mm -hmm. And one thing we learned was our inch and three-quarter crosslays we're flowing more water than we thought they were. We're getting up in 200 GPM, which is great. I had great success with that hose line yeah. as a firefighter, and that's why. 
but our two inch line, it's kind of our intermediate line. You know, we're not quite to two and a half yet and we're more fire than, than, we, than we would get with an inch and three quarter. We're getting it just barely over 200 GPM, but we thought we were getting 250. Hmm. So that's the data they brought back to me is, hey, we did all this testing with all these trucks and here's what we got. And then it, well, what do you think about it? But, well, we need to get a new hose line on there. Okay, so work through the labor management process and you, your goal is to, you tell me what is gonna be the, 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 the line that flows the most GPM with the least nozzle reaction, the most movable, uh, move, maneuverable, et cetera. Right. And they took you know, a couple months to figure it out and said, hey, this is what we wanna buy. And because of Chief Walker's you know, leadership and, and working through the budget stuff and, and being objective and stuff, I was able to use that survey and say, you know, of you know, 400 fires, this is what's slowing us down tactical objectives and this is what we need to fix it and put all that data in there. And we got the budget allocation to get the lines there on the trucks. Everybody's been trained on them, and we're pulling them more than ever. Well, that's there's a lot. There's so much there to unpack, right? Yeah. yeah. So, first off, make sure that you read the article. Go find the article on fire engineering, and then make sure that you follow the link to the actual questions. They're there for you to go through and look, and then you can lo also look at what the the data, you know, resulting data was. So, there, there's a lot of information there. Um, the, the one thing that I think is important to mention. That's it's been a discussion as of late <clears throat> in the fire service. I'll actually, I'll read, uh, I'll read a little excerpt from it. it. Says I would contend that we have some of the best company officers and battalion chiefs around the world in the Phoenix Fire Department. Mm -hmm. They're well-trained, experienced, dedicated fire service leaders, and we knew if we asked them to take a couple of minutes to fill out the survey, uh, one, you know, once the incident concluded, they would do it and they would do it well. Yes, sir. So one of the that that's awesome, and one of the things that uh, we talk about kind of in the, you know, National Fire Service is our uh, perceived lack of ability to, to collect data or a perceived lack of interest to collect data. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, Chief Muncie, Dan Muncie out of San Bernardino County, we, we were discussing this on the first episode yeah. of this podcast. And he said, you have to measure what's important. Right. Right. So I think it's, it's a strong testament to the leadership you have here at this fire department and I would argue that firefighters, it's not that we're incapable of collecting real data. Yeah. It's that we have to A, measure what matters, and, and B, be a part of the process. And if you let those two things happen, we'll collect some data right? right? When, when, it, when it has value. Yep. So hats off on that. Thank you. And then uh, I often try to articulate, particularly in this show, I'm really speaking to the company officers. Mm -hmm. It's really my target audience sure. because I want them to be a part of the conversation when it comes to data and, and what will hopefully one day become to be evidence-based firefighting tactics, mm -hmm. you know, for, through the research that UL and FSRI do and then the data that we collect and this sort of thing. Um, it's, it, like you said, you, you were able to get initiatives funded because you had the data in hand, yes, right? Sir. Yep. So... Two massive points that I think are, are really interesting from this, from this, from this uh, one, and it's not a long, you know, it's a short article yeah. really when you look at it. So it's, it's very powerful and, uh, and compact in what it, what, it, what it states. So you mentioned, uh, I've, I've got the bunch yeah. of the data key yeah, points yeah. here that I, that I thought were great. So like 51% of the first water was transitional. Yes, sir. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. That's really, that's higher. I was like, wow, I'm yeah. kind of a transitional guy. I've kind yes. of been known to, yeah. to, to, to look at that uh, when it first came out. Um, what other, how have you seen this data in, influence 
tactics, training, like day-to-day yeah. operations? Great question. So one of the other things that we learned that was slowing us down was forcible entry. Yeah. And to your point about, again, about the captains, the captains are so key to us. And this thing completely focuses on them. The BCs fill it out. But the only way the BCs are going to fill it out is to talk to those captains. Because right. they're going to be, captains are going to be there within like that four-minute window. The BC is going to be behind them a couple minutes for sure. So talking to the captains about what they encountered, the challenges that they had, and all those sorts of things was so huge, so huge for us. Um, let me think here for a second. Can you remind me of your question again? I'm trying to. How, how, is, how have you seen oh, tactics yes. and training change? Thank as you. A result? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's one that, that, so on the forcible entry side of things, we again got a budget allocation to buy like, you know, 10 or 12 of those blue door things and mm-hmm. get some overtime money to train folks and do those sorts of things, which has been successful. Another thing that has been really powerful for me that I was super impressed with, and I'll just be transparent, when, when I was a captain, you know, back in like 2012 and stuff like this, I don't know how authentically I might have called a fire, right? You know, as far as the offensive and defensive deal. Now I could speak to the functions of command and risk management and strategic decision making and all those things, probably as good as anybody. But one of the things that I was so impressed with, and we shared this when we met with all of our captains just a little while ago, was, you know, about nine times out of ten, they're calling the fires offensive in the beginning. And about one out of 10, they're calling them defensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an authentic, I'm so happy with that. And as I go to fires, it the data you know, reflects and is parallel to what I'm seeing out there. So like right before we had our captain's meetings, we had this, this, this nasty you know, uh, commercial fire sort of thing in, in downtown. And, and it was like a, a manufacturing sort of little tiny building like a, maybe it was a vehicle shop or something mm-hmm. like this but but i remember the engine 21 captain going to it listening to the radio traffic he gave a completely authentic size up of it recognized that the thing was totally ripping there was no saveable lives no saveable property called it defensive from the beginning and built an incident around it to keep it in the box and 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 protect the exposures knock down the main body of fire and make sure we just didn't get anybody hurt unnecessarily along the way, which is exactly what I'm looking for from folks. And and I was so happy with it. You know, he, right. he just made a very authentic call. And being able to get that feedback to our folks has uh, been really powerful for us. And then, like, on the supply line side of things, we have four-person staffing. A lot of our trucks are staffed with five. We're very blessed with that. Uh, we've got pretty deep resources here, you know, with about, you know, 67 engine companies and 14 ladders. And the automatic aid system is second to just FDNY in terms of total capability. We operate like one big fire department. So we got a lot of resources. So for us, land supply lines is important. Um, and, and you know, you're kind of taking that subjectivity out of it. Like, like the honest truth of it is our first-end companies are established in water supply 70% of the time. And I'm thrilled about that. So it's been a lot of positive things like that. Another thing that was really good for us from a training perspective in our chiefs was we have a question in there that says, hey, did you have any problems managing communications at this incident? And when we talked to our chiefs about the survey, the intent, what we're looking for, we were very clear. I'm not talking about radios here. I'm talking about your obligation as the incident commander to manage communications, to manage radio traffic so that that communication can happen and we're following the order model and the channels are open and we're precise with all those sorts of things. So that was good for us. And one of my favorite ones that was really good for us and it really connected at that grassroots BC captain firefighter sort of level was, did you identify any training opportunities at the incident? 
and then what did you do about it? Right. You know, because that's what I'm looking for. Like, I, what I'm looking for is, hey, maybe we had, maybe we had an opportunity for big water you know, that didn't go as well as we wanted it to, or forcible entry, or transitional attack, or coordinated ventilation, or, uh, you, you know, you name it, right? right? Command procedures, the whole thing, right? And in, if they say it, then now we can track that, and that can help drive training as a department, as, as we do. But even more important to me than, than the huge department-wide training initiatives is that relationship between that battalion chief and that captain. Like, hey, I identified, we, we, it, we probably need to work on this. Okay, great. And now I'm going to take ownership and, and, and see that that, that happens. It's been well, those, and those initial questions are awesome because uh, it causes you to think or reflect on why you did what, what we did. Right? Yes, so it's, yeah. our, our, our response, we, we like to be intentional. But from my own observation, this from the department I retired from, when we started to do things differently, we would we would inquire, yeah. "Why'd you do that?" Right, and you would kind of get like a blank stare. Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. That's just what we always do. Well, that's you know we're trying to overcome that to where yeah. we're not just always doing something and being reactionary. Right. We're actually we're sizing up for a reason. Yes, sir. You know to to understand what's going on, then make a decision based on the information we see. Right. So, it's interesting to watch the trickle down of that, you know. Yeah. So now, now I'm on scene and I'm and I'm filling out these questions. I'm like, well, why did I do that? You know, what yeah. what, what, what were we doing there? Right. You know, did we make the right decision? I think it's so impressive and so so many implications beyond it. Now, you guys were you, you collected all this data with I would call like a low tech oh, yeah. approach yeah. to yeah. it, right? Like so, yeah. there's there's no uh, automation really. Yeah, involved in this data collection, other than a survey form, right? And and having the foresight of the QR code to yeah. get it easily, um, I would be curious to see uh, as we start to develop in the fire service that that as the tech catches up to us, UL uses the term speed to task. Yeah, have you started to notice, or do you see anything in the future uh, where, or or maybe lessons learned from this exercise? Uh, how can we better start to collect that? Because we, that there is a debate, I guess I'll call it, in in about automation, and that we have to we have we can't rely on firefighters to collect the data and be accurate. Right. I've heard that. Yep. Um, we have to use technology to to capture those things, yep. speed to task. So so like for example, UL is looking at things like feet per second while dragging a civilian. Right. How, how I don't know I don't know how to do, it, but. It, is, do you see anything, uh, opportunities that you're looking for going forward as to how does this evolve? How, how do you see yeah. this evolving in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, 100%. So as the credit for this thing we're talking about here belongs to the, the deputy chiefs mm -hmm. and all those folks who worked on it, the credit for the thing that I'm going to talk about belongs with our training team. Okay. So our training team, uh, we've got uh, you know, Assistant Chief Mark Gonzalez, my counterpart on the executive staff. A guy named Wes Patterson, who's a deputy chief, and just absolutely incredible guy. Jason Miller, who's our division chief of command training, and Seth Jenners, and of course their labor counterpart, Noah Katz. So right. that, this is our kind of training team. And there's others, and, and for those I forgot to mention, forgive me, right. but but what that team is doing right now, and and they just completely, I mean, I'm just so happy with it and so thrilled with it, is they're collecting data on department-wide drills to answer that question time to task. Mm -hmm. So like we had a um, we had a big initiative here in the regional automatic aid system to just recognize you know we're sort of a newer city we're a huge city but we're we're pretty darn new and we've got a ton of these giant box warehouses 
since Tarver's death, you know, in 2000, right. 2001, you know, we had put in a Tarver ordinance. So basically everything's getting sprinklered. Right? And that's a great thing for us, for safety and, 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 and the community, all those sorts of things. But we end up resulting in a lot of cold smoke incidents. So cold smoke fires were something we really wanted to focus on. So as a region, we wrote a new SOP for it. And uh, the training machine took that SOP and did department-wide training on it. So every fire company in our system, ladders, engines, rescues, everybody, they did this cold smoke training drill where we got these big box buildings that folks let us borrow that were abandoned or get torn down and these sorts of things. And we filled them up with smoke and we tested our procedures and all this sort of stuff. Well, what these brilliant folks at our training team had decided to do was they're not just going to do a drill. They're going to measure all this stuff. So they're going to measure how long it takes to get the hand line into this place here and how much right. air we're consuming and how long it takes to get to the roof and do what we need to do on the roof and, and everything in between. And they were able to take all that stuff and package it up in such a way that then allows us to tailor things and have a better understanding of how those things kind of happen, not just on the grinder, stretching a hose line, you know, 150, 200 feet or horizontal standpipe, these sorts of things down on the pavement, but really what it looks like as a department for a whole, we were pretty impressed and we identified some opportunities as an organization. And, and those folks would be way better to talk about yeah. that than me because they're really, really good. But I was really impressed with it. I'll, to, I'll reach out to them because yeah. there's a whole different layer of this uh, when we start talking about the training divisions. Yeah. You know, and, and what I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the fire service over the next, uh, let's say, five years as we start to look at changes in the data set. Uh, with uh, nearest coming out, yes, uh, they're they're starting on that process now, and in doing so, they will completely rewrite the data standard. Yep. So I would I would like to think, and I would I would encourage instructors worldwide to uh, you want to be a part of what that data set might be. Right. And there there are probably some operational benchmarks that we could capture many of what you've captured in this in this in this work you've already done uh, that could be a part of that. And then we'll have to, you know, I think the technology will catch up to us to where we can automate a good chunk of it. Yep. But, uh, you know, just I, we did the same thing in the department I was with. We we used a warehouse. Uh, Chief Henry Moore's idea. He's passed away now from uh, occupational cancer, but uh, he had the foresight back then to to do a, a kind of a large area yeah. disorientation drill, and uh, it impacted our training in a great way because one of the first data sets we got from that was, I forget the exact number, but it was somewhere in the order of 20 to 30% declared a mayday yeah. when they realized they were disoriented. Right. That number is incredibly low. Right. <laughs> you know, I was right. like, what, what? It should have been like 95% is what yes. I was yeah. kind of expecting to see. So we, we get this low number. So, if, you know, that caused us to immediate right. training again, retrain, you know, because we'd already had the initial right. uh, training when that first became a thing. Right. And uh, so it needed a lot of reinforcement. And, and things like this, I mean, let's look at some of the other uh, interesting uh, facts on it. Better than, what I think is impressive, better than 90% salvage and overhaul were, were effectively protected yeah. property. That's yeah. one of my instructor pet peeves is yeah, I, I feel I, like it's a lost art. I can reflect on the genesis of that one yeah. too, if you'd like. So throughout my career, I have observed you know, different roles in the organization and such. You know, you, you focus your organization on salvage. So we're, right, we got to do a better job salvaging and stuff like that. Right. Of course it's important. But when you do that, then the rekindles start kicking yeah. up, right? And then you focus on overall. we got, got, we got to get these rekindles. <laughs> and then now you're salvaged. So I've been 
you know, we've been working so hard to find that sweet spot. And then the other thing that is that, you know, it's just is what it is, right? You have the investigators, you know, come right. up to me and be like, hey, you got to, you're destroying all our evidence and stuff, yes, you know? very much so. so. So the reason that we ask that question and, and the expectation that we've come to together and how we're going to try to balance these sorts of things is, of course, you, we got to do a good job salvage, right? And, and take care of Mrs. Smith's stuff to the very best ability we can. And we got to get our investigators in there, and then we got to do thorough and authentic overhaul, mm-hmm. right? So that's that. That's where we're trying to balance that thing out with that that one. Yeah. That is, uh, yeah. Like I, I recall being a young firefighter, truck oriented. Uh, that we, we did a lot of sal- We had a lot of salvage cover folds, and yeah. we had we carried a lot of covers and did a lot yeah. of things with them. You know, we yeah. were we were artistic yeah. and, and prideful in the way we could deploy a salvage cover and then it then it went away yeah. you know it's like that that cultural thing kind of right. evolved into something else so I'm, I'm happy to see that that mindset is uh is uh, coming back also no firefighter injuries on 90 percent of structure fires yeah i'm really happy about that one uh as a matter of fact the number i looked at it before the interview we're up to 96 really yeah so we're really 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 happy about that, that one we That's amazing. do a lot. You know, we have our folks go through some comprehensive physicals down here. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, mental, physical health, and and spend a lot of time on finding that that appropriate professional balance. The way I would say it is, we have to be an aggressive fire department for our community to save lives and property. We got to be an aggressive fire department to be safe, right? Like like the. You know, putting the fire out is a great, great thing to make, you know, to mm-hmm. eliminate the risk to us, too. Um, so, yeah, I was really satisfied with that. The other one that is kind of along them same lines is I think we're at like 98% compliance with our uh, fire ground exposure reduction SOP. So that was a, another regional effort where we came together as a region and, and we're really looking at the cancer prevention pieces of this thing on, okay, we're going to set up a decon at every fire and spare everybody on every fire and not take our, you know, that, that breath of death thing that you right. probably heard, right? Like if you, you come out and we're going to spray you down and then you can pop your regulator off and, and bag in the turnouts and getting them cleaned and all those sorts of things. I was really happy to see um, how compliant we've been with it. And again, and I see it going to fires and stuff because I hear it on the radio getting announced and I see what's happening out there. But to get the totality, to get what I'm seeing validated by the, the responses from the Chiefs out there was was pretty cool too. Awesome. What 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 advice would you give? You know, if, you, if there's a, probably a captain on a treadmill somewhere right now, it's yeah. usually where they listen. Up, I yeah. find. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a captain somewhere, you know, working out, listening to this. What advice can you give them? How did they start? Yeah. If, if you don't have uh, any, you just like, well, this is great. I want to do this, but I don't really. What's the first step? Like, where did they begin? How did, you, how did it evolve for you? Yeah, I think well, for us, it, it sort of evolved with the strategic plan and really trying to, uh, one, measure the stuff that was important to us, but also, two, knowing that the stuff that we were putting in there was going to become important to the organization. Mm-hmm. You had the, the buy-in. You had the collaboration. Everybody works on it together. And it's in everybody's face all the time. So, you know, and for the record, you know, when we fill these out, we have fire control, the incident's over, right? right? Like that's when we fill these things out. But 
you know, the BC gets out of the command post and shakes hands with folks and catches up with them. Hey, you guys doing all right? All right. And talking to the first and captain, the ladder captain, second and engine, all this sort of stuff to get the information they need. They go back in the truck, they fill it out. It takes a minute and a half or three minutes yeah. or whatever it takes. And then they come out and do the critique. And because they went through that process of talking to folks and then filling this thing out, and then we do the tailboard critique. Now they kind of have everything on their mind. They ain't going to miss anything because they've gone through it all. But for the captains out there, I would say, uh, you know, first, I would start with the why piece. And the why piece to, uh, to me is, as we described, one, it gets us out of that subjective conversation about structural firefighting operations performance and the stuff that's important to us from a safety perspective puts us into that objective. It allows us to, to, to focus in on training and focus where, you know, if we need to do something, we have now objective arguments and data to, to, to sort of back that, which is really powerful for us. I would say for captains out there, you know, the fundamental stuff that, like when I was a captain, I, I wasn't spending a lot of time thinking about how I was going to, you know, bring the operations division together, right. Right, right? Those sorts of things. But the stuff I was thinking about was how much air do I consume? How much air does my crew consume? How long does it take us to do a certain set of work, whether it's, you know, forcible entry or, 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 or getting hose lines in position, hose line management sort of stuff, making sure my expectations were clear in these sorts of things. Um, so I would encourage folks to do that and really take ownership. And then they may think of stuff that I haven't even dreamed of as they yeah. start to engage with their firefighters and, and engage with their chiefs and start kind of figuring this thing out. I think that um, it could be pretty illuminating for them. And, well, that's yeah. an important point. So how much money did you spend to employ this concept? Zero. 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 Right. So this is using a data collection platform you already had. Yep. It's, it's uh, some cooperation in talking about what metrics you, or what questions you would ask. Yep. And then it's the time and attention to just review it. Yeah. And decide what it means. So if you're, uh, you know, not all command structures are created equal yeah. in the fire service, right? So if, uh, it's, if, if you're in a fire department that has a command staff that is that is aware and paying attention to these things. That's fantastic. You have the support and could probably move very quickly yeah. through this process. But if you're that uh, officer who works in a department that may not be aware, let's right. say for whatever reason, that this is uh, something to focus on, the metrics you described were perfect. You know that looking at capturing what your crew can do, how right. much air your your firefighters consume, how fast can you deploy, uh, you know, basic attack lines and things like that. Um, you know, we've talked about the uh, 14, uh, what is it, 10 standard that, you know, there's metrics in there that uh, that have some places to start. Uh, the time recommendations aren't necessarily science-based. Yeah. We, we kind of made them up back right. in the day. But, yeah. uh, you know, there are places where we could start to work on that to give you a framework to work in. So yeah. I think that's a important part that I think everybody listening to this show can have some influence and and has some opportunity to take the lessons that we've learned from your work and, and really make that part of, even if it's at the company level. Yeah. And then, you, you know, it would be great if uh, we're competitive too, right? So if, if right. I'm collecting data and I know my guys can, can do it, you know, right. create a fire stream in X amount of seconds, that I'm, I'm yeah. going to try to beat you if I'm, <laughs> if I'm right. the next new company, right? right. So 100%. I'm going to try to be faster than you. What do you see next in uh, Phoenix? Where, where do you see this going? And well, what will is, you do with this now that you've got so it? It is uh, made its way into, and and again, credit to 
to Chief Mike Duran, who's now been our fire chief for almost a year and a half now, right. incredible guy, great leader, great leader. But this sort of objective thinking, you know, Chief Walker, Chief Duran, our team, you know, labor, I mean, everybody's on board with, uh, with it and the value of it. So like one of the things we're working on, and it's literally just wrapping up right now, is a really comprehensive community risk reduction sort of look at uh, electric vehicle fires, mm-hmm. micromobility devices, the lithium ion batteries and power drills, and all these sorts of things, battery energy storage systems, that sort of stuff. And for us, we we worked really hard. It was in the national safety standout our procedures that we yep. came up with that. We, we we worked hard on on those operational procedures and training for those things. But we also worked really hard on the fire prevention and code enforcement pieces for um, the Chapter 12 editions we put in for battery energy storage systems and where they're allowed in residential homes and not allowed and photovoltaics and all that kind of stuff. But more directly to your point, um, fire investigations. So what fire investigations is doing is we met about a year ago, the ops folks and the investigations folks, the public education folks and the prevention folks to just say, okay, here's what's going on, maybe more than a year ago, but anyways, here's what's going on with the batteries and stuff and really want to coordinate our efforts with it. What investigations did, and I asked them to, to, to do this, but they just completely ex- blew my expectations out of the water, was they said, I want you guys to to talk to, there's 30 municipalities in our automatic aid system, right? I want you to, let's get everybody together. And what I want is to the extent that we can, I'd like us to be apples to apples and how we're investigating fires and determining and reporting on the lithium ion battery stuff, right? That was my goal. And the reason I did it was because I was watching what FDNY is doing an amazing job with, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they are awesome. Their public education stuff's awesome. Their ops procedures are awesome. They're doing great. And I'm, and I'm seeing the media reports and they're asking them these questions and I know we better have an answer to them. So what the investigations team completely exceeded my expectations. So, so what is happening now is we had a huge training. There's like, like 180 folks from, you know, all over the state and some from out of state, private industries, of course, law enforcement, our investigators, everybody. ATF came in, we did the training together on lithium ion battery fires. And, and at the same time, we rolled out the, the here's how we're gonna investigate these things consistently as a state, you know. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, the, the team down there, Justin Alexander, Dan Cheatham, Jennifer Hill, I mean, completely exceeded my expectations. They come back and say, yeah, here's what we wanna do. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So, so now we're gathering that data on the fire investigation side, apples to apples, uh, we got our first report in. We had 26 in the first month that were reported statewide. Um, and that is going to help us tremendously in focusing, you know, what do we need to do with now emergency response on the side of it? How do, let's, let's, let's watch and see what's going on with maybe our procedures that need to continue to evolve. Of course, they are going to need to. We know that. But that investigations data can drive it. And not just Phoenix because we're getting the whole state, right? So the, yeah. all that data makes everybody more powerful code enforcement side of it is what we're doing with chapter 12 and the explosion stuff and the, the high density sprinkler systems and the uh, detection, all these things that we're doing to protect the, the Tesla walls and all this kind of stuff. Is that working for us? And then our public education efforts, you know, on this, this uh, stuff that FDNY is and UL is so beautifully kind of spelled out for us. Like, you know, the importance of buy-in Consumers and our public know, and it's really important to, if you're getting lithium ion batteries, you want to get them that are validated by somebody in this country like a UL. 
Right. And you charge them with the right stuff and you don't leave them in the sun and you don't charge them on your pillows. And if they do this, you should do that. All that kind of stuff for our public education messaging. So that's kind of what's happening now in terms of data and, and Phoenix and, and what we're trying to do. And not even Phoenix, as a state, what we're trying mm -hmm. to do here. That's, amazing. that's awesome work, man. And it's interesting to see how much it permeates everything, yeah. right? When you start, when you actually start measuring what's going on. Did you guys ever have it? Do you have to, do you fight any uh, resistance to, to this data collection? Not yet. Not that I can think of that. Like I said, when we come out with the post-incident analysis and things, it's kind of the major topic of this. The chiefs were even the really senior ones, mm -hmm. you know, they were all on board with it. And I think that was because we, we were, you know, we had this strategic initiative and it was important to the fire chief and the union presidents. We knew that we, we were motivated to do something that was authentic with it. And then, you know, you start facilitating the feedback from those folks like, hey, what do you guys think? You know, what, maybe we ought to do this. And they'd start throwing stuff at the wall. And, and I think we were so fortunate to have the quality of those folks. And, and I think the buy-in. I think if I would have, you know, come in with, uh, hey, we're doing this, you know, here's my plan, make it happen sort of thing. I don't, I, I suspect it still would have went. I just don't think we would have had the same Right. participation in. So I was really happy with that. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to point out that you, you mentioned a couple times that you have the command staff, you have your, your labor team there, yeah. and there's that joint effort yeah. to, to, to get to these places. So I think that's a key part of that too. So it's not just, uh, it's a little bit of everybody involved. It's not just the fire chiefs. It's not just the firefighters. It's, it's, it's a combination of everybody yeah. working together. You right. know, that makes it, that makes it work. And I think it's important to understand I've, any, any major successful program I've seen anywhere in any fire department has always been kind of a bottom-up yeah. sort of initiative. You right. know? So um, that, that's always an important piece of it. Um, anything you want to add before we? Um, I, don't, I don't think we covered it. Um, I, you know, if, if the questions are out there mm -hmm. and I would, you know, if anybody wants to use them, make them better, Please, that'd be awesome, and I would. And if you want to share it with us, we would love to learn. Yeah, you know, absolutely. From that side of it, but um, that's been a pleasure. Thank well, make you. sure you download the article. Go to fireengineering.com and look it up. It's called "Data Driven Fire Operations." Uh, it was posted online on June twentieth. That helps you to find it, and then there is the link uh, there, right there in the article, so that you can get the questions. And I agree. Make sure you share the information. If you if you find something unique and different, we certainly want to share that around. So uh, make sure you do that. I appreciate you taking the oh, time. My pleasure. Chief. Thank you very and much. Let, yeah, and let us do honor. this here at this place. Yeah, How yeah. amazing is honor. it? Thank, uh, that's awesome. Team, so yeah. that's this episode of Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. You can find me uh, on Facebook. There's a Fire Service Data and Tech Talk uh, Facebook page that you can go direct to and communicate with me if you have ideas for the show or feedback. We certainly would love to hear what you think. And then uh, we're at data at Data Tech Talk on Twitter. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Everybody be safe. We'll see you next time. Fire Service Data and Tech Talk.